Disclaimers, consuming this podcast may remind you of things you already know but have forgotten, catalyze jaw-dropping epiphanies, draw you down the rabbit hole, and shit may get weird. Welcome to Portal, the human design podcast with your hosts, Alyssa Trube and Cheyenne Sukowski. Hello, friends. Welcome to another episode of Portal. Hopefully, you know you're listening to Portal. If you didn't, now you do. This week, we, Cheyenne and I, are going to talk about Cheyenne. We're going to dive into the mystery of the juxtaposition of bargains and the genius that comes with being an emotional manifester. Hi, Cheyenne. Hi, Lisa. Cheyenne is the co-founder, designer, developer creatrix should i just keep going (laughs) with titles the master of archetypes the i want to say hungry something what are you hungry for Ooh, that's a good question what are you hungry for you know i really actually something that i just uh, maybe like a year or two ago it really dawned on me that i really have a deep urge to just like bring something to life hmm you know, yeah, like, like create something and just have it. Yeah. And so that's kind of what portal is. So I mean, you can do it in a lot of different ways, but, yeah. but I, I really wanted something that's like big. Yeah. <laughs> well, I feel like you do that in all of your design. Like every mm. design I've ever seen, it's like you animate a concept mm. into like you, you almost show the spirit of the concept in mm. your, de- in your creativity mm. in your design and your drawing and your animation. Thank you. Yeah. I no, like thank that. you. <laughs> Thank you. Um, yeah, so today we're going to have a conversation with Cheyenne about how human design has impacted her life and her experience and where she's from and all the juicy details. So let's get started. Yes. Are you afraid? Did you a ask little bit. me that last year? I you did are? ask you. Yeah, of course. <laughs> I feel like you're just going to like see into my soul. Do you think I haven't? Oh, no, <laughs> yeah, you're right. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> I feel like I you've seen into mine, too. <laughs> yeah. I mean, last week you called me a hedonist, so I was like, oh, shit, she's got my number. <laughs> oh. Yes, Alyssa's brand archetype is the hedonist. <laughs> 100%. Did I consent to that? <laughs> I think it just is. <laughs> I think you're right. I think you're absolutely right. Well, since you've seen into my soul, friends, it's time to see into Cheyenne's soul. So... Obviously, we always say home is where the heart is, but maybe we should say home is where the soul originated. Where did your soul originate? Tell us about what it was like growing up. Where are you from? Hmm. So my childhood, I don't have just like one simple answer to that, but basically I was born in California. I lived there for a very short amount of time, like six months or so, less than a year. Oh, wow. Um, because my dad was getting his master's in engineering. The wizard app. The, the wizard app. The app wizard. Um, <laughs> yes, both. <laughs> so, um, yeah, he was getting his master's at UCLA. Mm-hmm. And then we moved to New Mexico, which is where my mom is from. Cool. Um, Los Alamos, New Mexico, which is a, a, a little mountain town. Mm. Um, it's like 40 miles from anything. It's pretty funky. It's a whole thing. We could talk about that for a long time, but so I moved to the, basically the high desert for about two years. And then 
we moved to England for about three years when I was a kid. So I lived in England for about three years. Um, Is that where you started school? Yeah, I not no kindergarten. Like the, or whatever their equivalent of that is. Right. Um, But basically long enough to get a British accent. Cool. I know. I wish I still had it. I was going to say, can you throw it down? I have the worst fake British accent. Okay, don't do it then. (laughs) I won't do it. Maybe you should. Do you guys want to hear? You want to hear? Just give us a I don't even think I could do it. Okay, okay. Fine. (laughs) Don't do it. (laughs) But yeah, so lived in England for a few years and like my parents, we traveled all around Europe, but I was really young, so I barely remember it, which is tragic in itself. Then we moved back to New Mexico until I was about like 12 or so. Okay. So I, I would consider like I grew up in New Mexico. That to me feels like like home, even though then we moved to California and I, I had lived in California for a lot longer than I ever lived in New Mexico. But where are most of your like young memories from? Definitely New Mexico. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Just towards the end of England, I was starting to like, I can remember some of that and like uh-huh. traveling to, I remember learning to swim in Greece. Oh. Things like that, you know? Pretty cool. What was that like? Learning to swim in Greece. That's That should be like a book title. Yeah. Well, my dad took my... I have a twin sister. Took me and my twin sister out on a raft. And it actually popped on the reef. <laughs> oh my gosh. And we had to... So we were pretty far out. I mean, I don't know. I was a kid. So it seemed far. Maybe yeah. it wasn't that far. But we had no, to like can, swim back. It was far. But I think before that, they were like, you know, teaching me to swim in a more like casual way. Yeah. But... They didn't do like the throw you into the pool and then like you either drown no, or you no, swim. No, yeah. <laughs> but um, yeah, I think New Mexico was really where like I would say that formed a lot of how I like in some ways how I see the world, but also like what I really enjoy in the world mm-hmm. um, because it was like it's a it was a tiny town. It was like 10,000 people. Yeah. It's not super tiny, but small Relatively. enough. Yeah, yeah. And it's like pretty remote um, right on a ski hill. Um, there's some like climbing there. My parents are climbers. Cool. So I got to like a very like outdoors oriented childhood, mm-hmm. um, which I, yeah, I really liked. I really like New Mexico. I miss it. What are the things that you enjoy in the world? I just heard like outdoors, mm. quaint town or like maybe like knowing people in your spaces, a sense of community. What do you, what do you like? Yeah, I think definitely at that age I liked yeah I liked playing outside I played soccer I was always like played sports I was really into um mostly soccer I mean mm-hmm. and then skiing and more like personal sports what position in soccer um I played everything so my dad was my coach also for like cool. 15 years or so um that's not right that's too it many felt years. like 10 years. years yeah <laughs> it was a long time yeah but uh I would play um like left defense uh-huh. a lot um or like left mid cool yeah i imagined you were gonna say midfield yeah a lot of running and yeah. then yeah later on in life i hurt my right foot really bad Ooh. and i had to have a cast on it and Ooh. so my left foot got really strong huh and it was like a freak thing like people would be like scared of it <laughs> watch out for shine <laughs> yeah. left foot but yeah so yeah the outdoors and having that freedom to go like explore and then yeah I never had like a large group of friends but I had like really intense like uh best friend kind of thing where you spend like all your time with them and spent a lot of time just like doing imaginary games Mm. I was very like I think it was maybe maybe you relate to this too like the era that 
I feel like we're right on the cusp of like the technological takeover. Yeah. And my parents, even though my dad was a computer engineer, he didn't, um, they, they really like limited the technology we were around as a kid, which is interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, so like we didn't get cable TV till I was like 15 or 16 and then yep. get a cell phone till I was 16. Yep. So I spent most of my childhood, like really in the imaginary realm of like playing meant you go and you <laughs> pretend to be whatever pirate or like i don't even know you get your ass out in the woods you yeah. build forts you yeah. smush berries in yeah. your hand you hit each other with sticks yeah. you play hide and seek yes. and manhunt yes, yes totally absolutely yeah oh 90s babies I are know. you 90s or 80s? Mm-hmm. Yeah. 92 yeah 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 okay yeah. right your age is right in front of me <laughs> 92. Yeah, 90s babies. Cheers to all the 90s babies. Yeah. Keeping it real out there. Playing yeah. wizard and princess and pirates. Oh, yeah. Okay. So are those still things that you weave into your life now? Like moving your body, being outside? How do those things feed your creativity? Ooh, yeah. That's a good question. I. It's really important for me. <laughs> um, if I'm not... Like, often I will forget that it's important to me, though. Yeah. <laughs> and then I'm, like, not moving energy um, yeah. in a physical way. And then that, like, creates a whole cascade of effects on creativity and also just, like, mood and just general well-being. But, totally. yeah, try to prioritize some endorphins. They're, yeah. They're important. <laughs> they're important. And also, for those of you who are currently not looking at Cheyenne's body graph, um, she has a defined throat. She's an emotional manifester, so she's got a defined throat via the channel of transitoriness, the 35, 36, which also gives her a defined emotional center, which emo- the emotional center is a motor, so it's making energy. And then she has a defined will center, which is also a motor. So I imagine that with those two motors, if you are sitting too long, you probably get hit kind of mentally and emotionally with some stagnation, potentially. Mm-hmm. And the reason I asked you that question about the design is whenever I look at your cards for whenever I look at your cards that you're making for the app, the app itself, like websites that you design for your clients, stuff like that, I always feel like they are very nature inspired, mm. even if they're not like overtly nature inspired. Mm-hmm. There's like or a feeling of like that kind of organic mm-hmm. design and a like um what's the word a little bit of like a mysticism that Mm. feels very derived from like earth Mm -hmm. you know it's interesting because I so when I first started doing like graphic design stuff and and I mean I've always made art like my whole life like Mm -hmm. as like a two-year-old I was really into drawing little families like caterpillar families caterpillar families (laughs) I like how specific that just got in my brain it went from like the classic like family drawing like the stick figures and then you were like no no (laughs) caterpillars (laughs) I mean there are probably other like it was but it was always I always drew families which is interesting it is interesting especially because you're you know again for those of you not looking at this her Cheyenne's um, personality son which is like a major player holds a lot of weight in the chart in the body graph is in the gate of friendship or family, which is the gate 37, and it's through the fourth line. And so that's this, like, kind of leadership by example archetype of, like, really externalizing your values for mm-hmm. family. So you always draw families. Yeah, and that was actually something that, uh, when I saw my body graph and, and saw that, I it, that was one of the things I was like, oh, that's interesting that that's always been something that, like, as a little kid I was drawn to. Like, this idea of... And for me, like, family, there's, like, immediate, like, biological family, but, yeah. 
I really do feel like family is bigger than that. You know, it's like, yeah, it's everybody that you have in your life. And I don't think that, um, yeah. So it's just interesting to see how that, um, presented even when I was like really tiny Cheyenne. But then the interesting part, so, or another interesting part is that when I was in high school, so I took some graphic design classes for the first time and, um, I was actually really into, uh, I was really into like screen printing and I was really, I got kind of into like graffiti art and like the, a lot more of the like city, like, um, I guess like urban kind of feeling. Yeah. Like urban feeling art. Um, and it always had like my twist on it, but it wasn't until I found climbing Mm. that it and and actually I should say like refound climbing because my Mm. parents like they were climbers and they took us climbing as kids and when I was a kid I really rebelled against um like I hated hiking Mm. I was like they'd have to bribe me with like ice cream every time (laughs) smart smart child (laughs) yeah (laughs) they were like if you get through this without whining, we'll give you ice cream. I love it. You didn't actually hate, I, you didn't actually hate yeah, hiking. I just you wanted ice cream. Ice cream. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Definitely have a sweet tooth, but yeah, it was like when I rediscovered climbing that really like awakened in me, this whole drive to like be outside in nature. And, um, there were like some things after that, that led to like me living a much more like nature oriented life, which then you see reflected in my art. But like, yeah, it's just interesting how there was a time where it was, like, missing. Right. A little bit, in yep. some ways. And then it just, like, now I can't draw anything without... I always want to add mountains to it. I'm like, yeah. should there be mountains in the background? <laughs> <laughs> uh, of course there should be mountains in the background. Hello. Yeah. Wow. Okay. So, what I'm hearing a lot of is that your experience as, like, a young human mm-hmm. sounds very vivid. Mm-hmm. And, like, it potentially has impacted your work today. Mm-hmm even if it's a little bit more subliminal. Mm-hmm. Let's take the reverse of that. So how would your life have been different if you, like as a young child, let's say as like an adolescent. Yeah. Because that's really when we start asserting ourselves. Mm-hmm. Well, you were asserting yourselves with the, I don't want to hike and I just want ice cream. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to hike. We'll give you ice cream. Okay. Um, how would that younger part of your life have been different if you had known human design mm. known your type as a manifester and maybe like your parents knew human design how would have how would that have felt mm. so something i and i've realized this recently mostly with my going into the depths of human design but um yeah when i so i would say when i was a adolescent yeah like when once we moved to california so it was like middle school high school um era i was pretty like I was always, I always had a lot of acquaintances. Like, I could get along with pretty much anybody, you know? But I wasn't, like, I had a few friends that I was really close to, but I wasn't close, I wasn't the person that had a big group of really close friends. Mm -hmm. That's, like, never really been me. Um, But then in my day-to-day life, like, I also was very, uh, you could call it, like, an obsession with being average. Okay. So, this is, like... (laughs) This is, very this is kind of a, um, yeah, uh, semi ironic because mm-hmm. like, so like in high school, <clears throat> I always like, I, I stood out in a lot of ways, like how I looked stood out. Like I couldn't help but just like chop my hair super short and dye it like dark black. And like, I always like stood out to a certain extent, Yeah. but I, at the same time, always wanted to just blend in. I mm-hmm. never wanted to be called out. Like when some like you're sitting in class and it's like, Cheyenne, what do you think of this? I did not want to be the person who was like called on. 
And even to the point where like, I have this very vivid memory. It was like in chemistry class and I was in this class and like literally 60% of the people were failing the class. It was like really, really struggling. With the, the teacher wasn't very good also, but yeah. so Usually like, I, the case. yeah, but she w- would blame us, which right. was like a whole other thing. But yeah, so I like, we got our tests back and she would post them on the wall. So you could see oh, wow. not, not your name, like your ID number and then your grade. So everyone would go check their grade and so you could go up and see kind of like what the average was, right? And like I I was a good student, like I took AP classes and I had a good GPA and I would generally get A's in classes. So like I would get an A on the test and I would look down and see everyone is like D's and C's and F's and that kind of thing. And yeah. then people, of course, in high school, I don't know if you experienced this, but they'd be like, oh, what was your grade? You know, like, what'd you get? Like they want to know what the other people get. So people would ask me that and then I would under-report how I did. Oh, interesting. So I'd be like, oh, oh, like a B minus or C. I would try to like put it in there so it wasn't like, yeah, you know, things like that. Right. (laughs) You didn't want to, you didn't want people to know that you were excelling. Yeah. Because that would make you stand out. That would make me stand out. Interesting. So speaking to the human design part of it, which is like, this took me until almost 30 to put together. Right. That's how life goes, I guess. Yes, absolutely. You know, I, I've realized that like, um, that I do have like a a large impact Mm -hmm. and by that I mean that like when I walk into a room and I've always like this also makes me uncomfortable but like when I walk into a room people turn and stare at me yeah and I'm like why are they looking at me like and it would bother me to the point of like yeah I just want to like shrink down and like I'm like why why is everyone staring at me you know yeah (laughs) like I haven't done anything and and so knowing, you know, if I had known earlier, like what the man, what it means to be a manifester, right. like not only just like understanding that, uh, kind of like energetic impact that I have uh-huh. without meaning to, but then also like my, I think my emotions have like a huge impact. Right. And my partner put it to me once he said, um, I was like, we were working together and he came over and he was like, um, cause people just kept coming over to me and like wanting to hang out with me all day. Or teaching this class and he was like people really want to be around you like when you're like feeling good when you're like like vibing like people want to be around and everyone's like coming over and wants to be a part of it but then the flip side <laughs> when I'm feeling bad it's like repellent oh yeah, yeah yeah so and like not really understanding that when I was younger mm-hmm. um and also not feeling like there were many people I could like go through that that's that process with yeah maybe that was like part of why I didn't have many close friends or I wasn't seeking that where I was like, I need to be close to everybody. Cause like right. once someone's in, yeah, like past the wall, they get to see every, like everything. And that's true right. for everybody. Right. It's yeah. like, we all have these like layers and it's like the people closest to you get to see <laughs> right. all the stuff, you know? So, right. and I can imagine because you have that channel, the 3740, mm-hmm. I can imagine that your, your emotions are very, impacted by the people who you're around just because of how that channel works which if you're not familiar with it that channel is it's really a design where you're looking at being a part of the whole and so the whole like even like you wanting to blend in Mm -hmm. to the whole that I think is Mm -hmm. that channel too where Mm -hmm. it's like oh I don't want to stand out to the point that I get kicked out because I'm too intelligent or smart Mm -hmm. or different Mm -hmm. and that channel is you know a tribal channel in the tribal circuitry we have like no sense of identity mm-hmm. really 
there is ego, but it's like for the material plane and survival. So mm-hmm. it makes a lot of sense that maybe as like an adaptation, you were like, oh, my grades are better than everyone else. I can't show that because mm-hmm. if I do, maybe I won't be accepted into the whole that I'm a part of, mm-hmm. which is really cool that you just intuitively felt that. Mm. Um, but yeah, so that channel that you have, I mean, I'm wondering even now, like, do you notice that depending on who you're around and like levels of frustration or anger or excitement or curiosity kind of change your emotional balance depending on like the people that you are surrounded by? Yeah, totally. And I feel like I have to be, I don't have to be, but (laughs) um, it definitely is helpful for me to be, what's the right word? Um, To kind of like, I guess like filter who I am around because Mm -hmm. I do like, it's like I, my emotional wave gets like wrapped up in like other people's emotional wave. And it's like, but then also getting older and learning that like, just like witnessing someone else, like, like this is yours and this is mine and I can like feel it and I could just jump on that with you or I could just like, just kind of let it be yours. (laughs) Yeah. Like witness it. Yeah. Yeah. But I do think that like, it is a weird juxtaposition of like wanting to, um, yeah, wanting to be part of something, Mm -hmm. but then also like being part of something can be really exhausting. Yeah. Like the more, the more that your people you're around and that you have to like negotiate all that with, that can be like a really, like, I find that I need a lot of alone time to, to, uh, (laughs) Yeah, to sort to kind of like be able to show up in a way where I'm not being reactive and just jumping into people's other people's experiences because yeah. that doesn't help me and it sort I don't really think it helps them, you know? Like and that 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 was a really hard lesson for me to learn that like I mean, some people do want you to feel like someone that you're like on their wave with them. Yeah. Kind of on a, on some level. Well, I think yeah, I agree with you. I agree with you as an observer of other people's emotional waves only because I think that emotions can be so provoking Mm -hmm. that it creates a whole experience. Mm -hmm. And just like any other experience, it's like generally as a pattern, we actually talked about this around marriage, Mm -hmm. right? Like as a pattern, if someone's convicted enough to do something or really feel it, they, they want to legitimize that by being like, Oh, you should do this too. You should get married too. Or you should get whatever, vaccinated, go to school, go to college, whatever the thing is as well, because it legitimizes. And I've seen that with emotional waves. Mm. But I've also seen that people who have emotional waves as they get older really tend to be aware of how Mm. their emotional wave impacts. Mm. And something that is fascinating with the 3740 is that half of the channel, even though it is community oriented, is aloneness. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's something I think we miss and that you just really informed us of as like a reminder is hey your aloneness and your ability to like pull back and resource yourself Mm -hmm. makes it so that the community dynamic is actually a lot healthier Mm -hmm. and better Mm -hmm. and potentially even more dynamic and holistic yeah and not so like I could see like without that you're just kind of verging on like codependency Mm -hmm. where everyone's just like or like enmeshment where it's Mm -hmm. like (laughs) everyone's like so enmeshed and there's no sense of self it's like right and the, it is an interesting thing that, like, to be in community, you do have to have a sense of self. Like, yeah. you can't just, like, be forgetting about yourself in the mm-hmm. way of... And then you're, like, just trying to do things for everyone else. Because then anyone gets burnt out. Even, like, all my lovely generator friends. <laughs> you know, I've seen that with, like, 
you know, it's not just like people who don't have a sacral center, right? It's right. like, that's, I think, maybe just part of the human condition in general. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like any type, any person. Well, especially with how we're conditioned, right? Because it's like, when we talk about the sacral or not, we're talking about really like returning to what's true for you. Mm-hmm. And returning to like, hey, don't just say yes because you feel pressure to. Mm-hmm. I actually just had this conversation with a client who is a ma- uh, manifesting generator. Mm-hmm. And she was saying how she just recently said no mm-hmm. to something that she would have said yes to because of the pressure to say yes. Mm-hmm. And how energizing that felt mm-hmm. for her. And so my question to you as you've like witnessed this is how has human design clarified your sense of self? Mm. Or, like, understanding your design clarified your sense of self so that you can then bring that into the communities you're part of. Yeah, I mean, I think for me, it uh, some of it is, like... Well, I, I would say the, the growth has been exponential since I discovered human design. But even before human design... I don't know if this is too much of a tangent, but I'm just gonna I'm just gonna go there. Hit us with but it. we're all about the tangents, obviously. If you guys haven't realized that by now, <laughs> how many tangents can like we go? Like whenever on? I'm like, oh, I'm gonna briefly talk about something in my head. I'm like, <laughs> like 40 minutes later, not gonna be brief. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But I so okay. I would say maybe when I was like, I want to say I don't know, like 20, maybe like 24, 25. Mm-hmm. I had kind of an epiphany (laughs) about life in general. But, like, it it was around the fact that, like, kind of my whole life people had told me, like, you're you're a good person. Mm. Or, like, you're a kind person, you're a good person, you're a good person. In a lot of different scenarios. And then I realized, like, when I was, like, 24, 25, I was like, you know, at some point, like, when you take on an identity, it's like you stop trying to embody it. Yeah. And I didn't really feel like a good person. Mm. I mean, part of that is like, uh, you know, like self-doubt things. But there's also like, you can always try to do better and be a better person. Like, I don't think there's any like limit to it where it's like, oh, I've arrived. I'm a a great person, you know? Right. In fact, I think once you think that, you've like... It gets slippery. Yeah, it's like the nice guy who says they're a nice guy. Right. Yeah. You know, so... The face that Cheyenne just made, for those of you who can't see it, which is all of you, it was... uh, What's that song? I don't want no scrubs. Scrubs yeah. are gonna na, na, na. That show? was the song. Like, eh. Yeah. 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 So it's like, and, and, you know, I'm always wary of people who tell me things like that. Oh, right. I'm this. And I'm like, yes. because it's like, you do stop working to embody it the minute you identify with it. So mm. anyways, this is a long tangent. But when I was like 24, 25, you know, I had this realization of like, okay, if I if I think that I'm a good person, like, am I really being a good person? Mm. And this kind of like led me down basically a rabbit hole of like, just trying to learn more about like being a human and like the human condition and like the psychology and like unpacking a lot of like childhood, you know, trauma. And I don't say that with like a big T, but we all have childhood trauma of like just being a a human. (laughs) Yeah. Being a human can be traumatic, you know? Yeah. And so just, like, going through that process of, like, okay, there's, like, work to do here. Like, yeah. I haven't just arrived. Like, I'm not just, like, you know, the the perfect human because people tell you that you're a nice person or whatever. Yes. Um, and so remind me of the question. Why was I saying this tangent? I don't know. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, how has human design clarified your sense of, like, self? Ah, yes. So 
that process started, you know, years before I ever like came across human design. Right. So I was kind of okay. already in the space of like, yeah, just trying to understand more of who I am underneath all the conditioning and the like auto suggestions. Ego. Oh, you're yeah. so nice. You're right. such a great person. And you're like, am I? Right. Yeah. And also realizing a big realization for me is like being a nice person and being like a, a genuine kind person are two different things. Mm. And personally, like when someone tells me that they think I'm nice, it bothers me because to me that says like, I'm not showing up authentically. Yeah. And I, I know there's like a semantics issue. Like, no, no, I know what you're talking about. But it's like, to be nice is like kind of like saying this person is showing up how I expect them to. Yes. And and so leading into human design, <laughs> full circle back to that is like, you know, and I think as a manifester too, it's like, am I not, am I not being true to myself and how I'm right. showing up in these relationships? In um, order to be nice? In order to be nice. Yeah. Because right. it is something I've been told my whole life that you're nice. And yeah. then what does that do to a person like... It is hard for it is hard for me to be. I wouldn't even say mean. Like I, I'd like to think I'm I'm very rarely mean. Like mm-hmm. just like spiteful and mean. But like, right. you can show up authentically, and other people can have a hard time with that, and it yeah. can, be, not nice, <laughs> for right. their experience. You know what I mean? Right. And I have a hard time with that, knowing that like if I do show up, it's like is this person gonna be hurt by it or bothered by it or like you know what are the what's the impact of my decisions you know yeah yeah totally so would you say that in okay so I feel like you just alluded to the fact that as a manifester you do have an impact on people and on your environment and oftentimes that impact might actually be a little bit uncomfortable for them because of the kind of conviction or gusto or presence Mm -hmm. authenticity that you show up with so in learning you are a manifester which for those of you who don't know manifester types are here to inform so that's actually a manifester strategy it's like envision and inform and through them informing they have an impact on the people around them so would you say like that was almost a permission slip to take authenticity and embody it over being nice even if that meant making people uncomfortable sometimes Um, yes. Yeah. Yeah. And not that it's like suddenly now just like a perfect thing that I do all the time. Like I still struggle with that. And like, um, and I do think that like going back to like the people that I let be like the closest to me, those people generally have over 30 years. I've learned that the people who are, that I really let in, I need them to be able, and maybe this is a lot to ask for someone, but it's like, I need them to be able to, um, kind of allow me to have freedom in some ways, you know? Mm-hmm. Cause I've had friendships where it's like, they had the person for better, for worse, for whatever reason, just had very like strict expectations of like what I was going to do or on like how I was going to spend my time often mm-hmm. in relation to them. And it just, it became, like, unsustainable for me. Yeah. And so, you know, when I was, like, 19 or so, I started working in Yosemite National Park, and I was living, like, a seasonal lifestyle mm. where we'd come together for the summer, and then in the winter, everyone, like, scatters and does their own thing, and then you come back in the summer. And, like, that gave me a different perspective on, like, friendships, as in, like, you can have a really good friend that you don't see for, like, nine months out of the year. Yes. And maybe you try to meet up at some point in the winter, but, like, often you don't. Yeah. 
So did that feel like that kind of change in how you related to people when you were working in Yosemite for summers? Did that feel like freedom for you to have a totally different relationship dynamic? Yeah. And actually, I think that it only until later did I realize that part of it. Like Mm -hmm. for me, it felt like a freedom of, well, it was really a freedom of like a whole way of existing. Like I had never seen anyone live like that before. Mm -hmm. So like suddenly living in this world where like seasonal work was a thing and like people just like kind of living for different reasons than I had grown up around, um, was very eye opening for me. And then it also through that, like, I think It's just like, if you want your life to be that way, then your relationships have to be a certain way. Right. And seeing that that's okay. Like, it's not like bad or wrong or like, it's like, yeah, it gave me a a very different perspective on intimate relationships, friendships of like, I mean, I don't know if it's the Pisces in me, but I do feel like I'm like very capable of like loving people. Yep. Even though I haven't talked to them in years. Yeah. I'm just like, I'll always like have that like deep feeling about somebody. Yep. And so in a way it's easy for me to like, and also maybe it's like missing someone is kind of good. Mm-hmm. You know? <laughs> yeah. Some of my closest friends are people that we've lived like apart mm-hmm. and had and built like almost like an intimacy and in living apart and mm-hmm. relating a different way and then coming together very deliberately and having deliberate time. And that's one of those things where I think like what you just kind of spoke to is this, like what we might actually call unconditional love, which Mm. is like, Hey, I Mm. love you. I feel body love for you. Mm -hmm. And also I love you enough to let you be you, which is freedom. Yeah. And I don't think that's easy. And I don't think, but I think it's the most gratifying Mm -hmm. and I don't think it's what we've learned. So it's Mm -hmm. cool. Cause as I'm sitting here, I'm like, Oh yeah. With your juxtaposition cross Mm. and the 3740 as like, primary players in your chart I wonder if in some ways you are here to bring authenticity to how we relate Mm. in being like hey look if you are one of my people I need you to allow me to have freedom even if that is asking a lot Mm -hmm. which is revolutionary in my opinion because if you get freedom they get freedom right it's like you can't it's not a one-way yeah thing it's a bargain of both people totally which is really liberating Mm -hmm. yeah and you can I think that I mean, I I feel like when you can approach a relationship in that way, it's just like, yeah, it's a lot less of, there's a lot less entitlement that goes into it. Like, unfortunately, something I'm really seeing, Mm -hmm. like, not really in my close relationships, like we just stated, but like, just like in other people's relationships, that kind of thing is like the level of kind of like entitlement people feel towards another person's time and energy and love and um, all these things. And it's like, just how, like, to be honest, like, it, when I imagine that as being all my close relationships, <laughs> it feels, like, kind of suffocating and just, like, and that's not to say that people aren't, like, people are entitled to certain things. They're entitled yeah. to, like, respect. They're yes. entitled to, like, like, like honesty, I like to think. <laughs> things like that. It's Absolutely. like, and, and that goes back to, like, authenticity, where it's, like, you showing up in an honest, respectful way, because it's another human being that, like you don't own and honestly you don't really know to the extent you'll that you'll like you do know certain people as well as any other human could but there's still another entity that is like having their own thoughts and feelings and often thoughts and feelings that they're not they're not sharing every second of every day like they'll always be separate from you so it's like that requires a certain amount of respect Mm -hmm. and it's also like 
yeah, just really seeing how many people like really feel like they're entitled to like kind of like ownership of other people. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I think it's, yeah, no, you you do know. And I think that that is something that is worth speaking to, especially in this day and age because Mm -hmm. of how accessible people have become with technology, Mm -hmm. which I don't think is a bad thing, but does demand that we actually have boundaries around it. Totally. And I, you know, as two open sacral humans sitting here, it's like, I've had friendships that want me to like, Oh, I shared. So now Mm -hmm. I need you to share or Mm -hmm. like, Oh, I haven't heard from you today. Is everything okay? And Mm -hmm. it's like, Whoa, like you do not need that much real estate (laughs) Mm -hmm. of my energy, my mind or my time. Totally. And as soon as it does get like that, it it feels graspy Mm -hmm. and it is draining. Mm -hmm. And so it's, it's even just cool to hear you speak of your experience as far as like, that is not freedom to you. Mm -hmm. And when you have freedom, I imagine that along with time energy, you're also able to trust that people can feel your impact and the intention of your impact better because there isn't like a strange undercurrent of Mm -hmm. codependency or like graspiness or pining for something. Mm -hmm. And so then you show up and your emotional wave is probably different because you don't feel drained or Mm -hmm. obligated or like you have to do something. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. It's like when you can be around people, I mean, I guess it goes back to that aloneness thing a Mm -hmm. little bit too, where it's like, yeah, the, if you if you can have some freedom and you can spend time with yourself, then you can show up better in every relationship. Yeah, and I think the hardest the hardest relationships to, I mean, or maybe like the most conditioning that you have to undo is around like romantic relationships. I would mm. say like friendships. I don't often. I feel like with friendships, people are scared to like um, admit maybe that they're having these like feelings towards like a, a friend. Yeah. I don't mean, like, romantic feelings. I mean, like, the feeling of, like, that they kind of own your time or that, like, this person should be getting back to you. But, like, with a romantic relationship, it's almost like everyone's agreed that, um, well, yeah, you're, like, my other half. So that means, like, I own you, basically. Yeah, which is why (laughs) so many relationships are dysfunctional. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Totally. And that's, I think, a huge part of that is the product of most people that I have interfaced with, not necessarily in my bubble mm-hmm. or in my group, but like at large in the world, there isn't a sense of knowing yourself. Mm. There isn't a sense of like, oh, this is who I am. And like you spoke mm-hmm. to, it's a lot easier to exist in a group mm-hmm. functionally, healthfully, when you know who you are and what you're bringing to the group, mm-hmm. as opposed to being like, oh, my identity is the group. Mm-hmm. No, it's not. It's not. Yeah. No, it's like, we don't really live in dynamics anymore that are tribal where you don't have an identity and you literally exist to keep everyone else alive and they exist to keep you alive right we don't live like that anymore and even our consciousness doesn't work like that anymore so yeah I think what you're speaking to is like a whole evolution and I think I have seen people who I would say like under the age of like 50 and under Mm -hmm. are really getting impacted by Mm -hmm. this kind of concept where it's like almost revolutionizing how we relate to each other and intimacy and relationships and energy exchange like all of that is starting to become a lot more tangible Mm -hmm. because of technology Mm -hmm. it seems like um i'm really curious especially whether it's relationships or your your artwork your design your development what are some of the ripple effects that you've noticed as you've started to implement like following your strategy Mm -hmm. and your authority so just for those of you who don't know as an emotional manifester cheyenne's strategy is to inform and her um, 
inner authority is to follow her emotional wave. And so the emotional wave kind of has ups and downs. And from going through the cycle of ups and downs, you gain clarity and awareness in general. Mm-hmm. So how has that, how have you felt the ripple effects of following strategy and authority as a manifester? Um, well, there's a lot of ripples. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, it, I mean, it kind of depends on the situation, but I mean, one of the biggest things, like, so for me, like a lot of the conditioning that I think that I currently and like previously have had to work through is like this feeling of like that I can't even... I mean, I guess you could say I can't initiate or I can't, I can't go do what I want to go do without upsetting people. Mm. And so when I was younger, I would just like not do the thing. Yep. Or I would try (laughs) to basically make myself like as unattached to people, like kind of like running around trying to not get too close to people because the more people that were like inside that bubble as we were like talking about the more people I had to consider or like, the more people I'm like really impacting and so informing I would, too right like, yeah yeah okay. so I would try my best to like kind of keep that number like really small so that I didn't have I didn't have to deal with that yep um but then of course like I mean yeah relationships and connections are like what make life really beautiful I think uh, and difficult but beautiful yeah very <laughs> you know? the same difficult <laughs> beautiful. beautiful yeah <laughs> So, yeah, I think when I was younger, it's like, I just wouldn't, I wouldn't even try, mm-hmm. really, necessarily. Mm-hmm. Um, As a protective mechanism, or a... Yeah, because it was, like, going back to that, maybe, like, the 3740 of, like, not wanting to get kicked out of the group, because yeah. my, like, um, what I wanted to do it was, like, either too out there, or it just, like, went against what everyone in my bubble wanted. Right. I mean, it could just be as simple as, like, they all want to go, you know, get pizza for dinner and I really don't want pizza. You want ice cream. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I want, for I dinner. want ice cream for dinner. <laughs> <laughs> hey. <laughs> Different strokes. <laughs> you know, just something as simple as that where it's yeah. like, all right, well I just won't like I won't state what I want because it's not gonna you know, it's just not gonna go over well. Right. So I think like seeing the the human design thing, like when I first saw my chart and I like saw the manifestor thing and was like looking into the strategy and authority, I was kinda like this seems like maybe like shit yeah (laughs) a little bit like I don't know if I really relate to this in fact I felt like it was not accurate right um to me I was like I don't know if this is accurate because you avoided informing people of what was happening for you or what you wanted yeah because I think I was like so like into kind of my conditioning that I was like I just wasn't seeing it and and then I started to have that kind of like nagging urge of like all right well let's just like like what would it be like to inform your partner that you would, you're going to go climbing today? Right. Right. <laughs> things like that. Like, you know, instead of being like, well, do you want to go climbing? And he's like, no. And I'm like, oh, okay. Yeah. And I guess I'm not going climbing. No, it's just yeah. like, hey, like I'm going to go climbing. And then he's like, oh really? Okay, cool. I'll come. Wow. Or no, yeah. I don't want to. And I'm yep. like, okay. Yeah. You know, <laughs> I'll see you later. Yeah. I'll see you later. Right. You know, things as simple as that, where it's like, it really is like, for me, it's been like, you could call them small things, but that in itself was very revolutionary for me because it changed instead of me feeling like I need to ask permission from everybody in the room Mm -hmm. and then when I don't get it I can't go do what I want Mm. um yeah it's like 
kind of being strong enough to also just say like, hey, this is like something I want to go do. And being okay when other people don't want to join you. Right. Which is hard sometimes, I think. Because it's like, depending on the thing, it's like maybe you really want it to be a shared experience. Like, I really want this person to come want to do it. But knowing that like someone begrudgingly doing something (laughs) because you want them to doesn't have the same effect as someone authentically wanting to do something. Mm. Mm -hmm. And so... Um, does that answer the question? Yeah, totally. Yeah. And it also, it's funny, I'm just like nodding because I'm thinking about how the parallel between like you being like, I want freedom from mm-hmm. my people. And it seems like you also want to work to give people freedom, even when it's challenging. Mm-hmm. Hey, I'm going to go climb rather than like, do you want to go climb? Oh, mm-hmm. come on, please. Let's go climb. Mm-hmm. No, instead it's, you're not just embodying, I need freedom, but it's like, actually, I'm going to try to give the people who I'm close with freedom too, which is cool. Well, and it, and I think the the hard part for me has been like in the past it's like it like it would be hard for me to give someone else freedom mm-hmm. because i wasn't giving myself freedom right and then i would feel resentful yeah which is really kind of a funny thing because it's like i could just give it to myself but i didn't feel like i could and i was yeah. like well why do you get to go do this if i can't do this right right <laughs> but it's like just knowing okay well i can give myself that mm-hmm. and then suddenly if someone needs to go do whatever it is there's less of a Less of that, yeah, like, kind of codependent, like, resentful, like, why should you have any freedom? And it really highlighted for me just, yeah, I think that's really common, actually, for people to, like, they don't give themselves something, and then they're resentful when their partner asks for it. Yeah. And then then they're in this situation where they're like, well, well, I did all these things for you, and the other person's like, I didn't ask you to. Right. Right. (laughs) You know, like, I mean, and you could still be like, thank you, but also I didn't ask you to, and, and it's not something that then you can be resentful over. Yes. You know? Yes. Yeah, and it's that's... It's a hard thing to learn. <laughs> it is a hard thing to learn, and I think a lot of people never actually learn it. Yeah. And just hold that bitterness or resentment or anger or whatever mm-hmm. the, the kind of really self-depreciating emotion ends up being. But that is something that, again, like it's almost like you could look at relationships and then draw the parallel to the big picture of human design Mm -hmm. as a deconditioning agent almost Mm -hmm. in the sense that it, it, there's always an energy behind everything. So Mm -hmm. it's like, if you do something for your partner because you feel obliged to do it, or you do something in life because you feel obligated or you feel like your conditioning pressures you to say yes, when it's really a no, the energy behind the thing you're doing is still a no or still a frustration or still a resentment. Totally. And that changes the entire action. Mm -hmm. And then it usually doesn't even land well. Mm -hmm. And something that you just said is like, it's a, it's, you know, this might be a small thing. No lie. I just had like this exact same entry point conversation around. This might be a small thing where it's like, yes, there's so many small things Mm. that change when we start using our inner authority oh, I'm going to inform or I'm going to wait for the invitation or I'm going to respond from my sacral or whatever it might be. And in doing that, small like to me, small things make up large patterns. Mm. And so yes. it's like when yeah. you start changing small things, the larger patterns start changing kind of subtly at first. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, six months, a year, six years later, you're living in a completely different reality because all those small things change and then all the patterns change. Mm -hmm. And as patterns change, of course, our reality changes. But that's where, like, you know, oftentimes people are like, 
human design, you want me to follow my strategy and authority? Like, oh, my strategy is to wait to respond and I'm just saying yes or no. And it seems so minuscule. Mm -hmm. And it is. Except that when you actually practice it, it is not minuscule at all because the feeling of meeting your conditioning that close Mm -hmm. is usually pretty jarring Mm -hmm. and creates like a whole cascade of realizations like what you just spoke to, right? Oh, yeah, I want freedom. Wait, I want my partner to have freedom and this actually changes the entire dynamic Mm. in which we exist together, which is revolutionary, even though it's a bunch of little small pieces. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I I think that also is like, it's funny because like I've read a lot of books on like, it's like how to change your habits and like things Mm. like that. And it's like people, I mean, in general, like me included, by the way, I'm never excluded when I'm talking about people. Like I am a person and, (laughs) you know, I'm always part of that, but um, I'm a guinea pig. Yeah. Actually, I am a guinea pig. So she's excluded from this. I have really large teeth and I like to, (laughs) she's chewing on carrots. I poop all over the place. I used to have a guinea pig. I did too. I fried (laughs) it in the sun. No. Yeah. Oh, I know. It was a horrible... Please excuse this interruption for a tragic story about Alyssa's guinea pig pig called Black Magic Gizmo, who she fried in a fish tank while she was cleaning his cage. Oh, shit. Yeah, I put it in a fish tank. Oh, under the UV lights? I just put it outside in a fish tank, like, in the summer. Oh, and the light? The light, like, overheated it, and it died. And my younger brother took it and put it, he, like, held it in his hands and held it under the air conditioning. And he was like, maybe it will come back to life. And it didn't. I, like, straight up. Yeah, I think I was probably, like eight or nine is tragic oh my god yeah but anyways this reminds me another tangent of (laughs) i saw this like meme of like someone was like they bought like a crystal ball you know and then the (laughs) the lady told her told them to like they're like during the day like cover it with a piece of cloth and they were like oh so like the spirits don't like come out of it or something and the the lady was like no because you'll burn your house down like the light will like prism through it and like start a fire like so it's speaking to yeah. So if you have a crystal ball out there, <laughs> cover it up. <laughs> cover it up. <laughs> now back to the original story. Do you remember what the original story was? Um, we're all people. We're yeah. all people. And yeah, so I, I feel like it's like the tendency is like you have like, you want to change something big, right? Because yes. like once something yes. is big, it's a problem. <laughs> right. You know, it's like, oh, this is like, oh, it has to be changed right now. And so then you try to do all these different things to change some big thing in your life and yeah. maybe you do for a little bit sometimes sometimes you can't even do that but sometimes you do but it always like slides back and it's like you forget the like granular like the the little things that make up the big hole yes and and speaking to the like the kind of like the simplicity of it, it being like a detractor like people are like oh like it's too simple right and it's so funny because it's like yeah what is that in us that's like this like idea that like something has to be complex for it to mean something right yeah it's like <laughs> you know like what is that? i don't know is it a da vinci quote or like some like yeah. epic quote about simplicity and every mm-hmm. time i hear it, i'm like yeah that's so true and that's i love that you just brought it to that point because something that i experience in relationship is that mm-hmm. my husband is a generator mm-hmm. like just pure generator and He's also very loving and devoted. And so for a long time in our relationship, I would be like, do you want to go and grab like a coffee at the coffee shop and just like sit and chill, which is like one of my favorite activities Mm -hmm. to do with friends. So I like to talk. Yeah. (laughs) Surprise, surprise. Um, And I like coffee. Yeah. (laughs) And so he'd be like, I like 
like, sure, yeah, we can do that. And then we'd go, and it'd be horrible. And I'd be like, does he not like me? Like, is, mm. what is happening here? Yeah. This is so miserable. <laughs> and then when I learned human design, mm. and I learned that his strategy was to respond from his sacral, uh-huh, uh-huh, yes, no, like, listen to his sounds, I just simply started listening. So I'd be like, hey, do you want to go grab a coffee and sit mm. at a cafe? And he'd be like, ah, Sure. And I knew, okay, he's conditioned to say sure right. or yes because he wants to make me happy. Right. But it's a no because that sound uh, yeah. beforehand was like absolutely <laughs> no. not. Yeah. And so I just started to listen to that. And then I'd be like, actually, that's not. That sounds more like a no to me. Mm-hmm. That changed our entire relationship mm. because what we – it's same thing that you just spoke to. We stopped doing things because we felt like we needed to do them together. Mm-hmm. And only started doing things together when it was, like, a full yes. Yeah. And that was wild because that just, like, is so, so simple. Mm. Even down to, like, do you want to go get pizza tonight? Do Mm -hmm. you want to go get ice cream? Whatever it is. (laughs) Then the time that we can spend together is actually quality because Mm. he's got energy for it. And I know I want to do it because I'm asking. Mm -hmm. So it's, like, it's just... You're right. Sometimes we do see relational dynamics or big dynamics that big picture and try to like rush in and change them when really it is those small as you said granular 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 yeah granular what is I that? Like that it's a new word it sounds like what is the granular that sounds like grandiose and like some other word <laughs> it reminds me of like an organ for some reason i'm like what am i never mind anyways never mind um granular mm-hmm. well and it's like also the perspective shift of like, um, like, I don't know. I think our society in general in relationships thinks that it's like the more time you spend with someone yes. that means you love them the most. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's like, even if you're miserable, right. like, you know, even if like you don't really want to be spending all your time with somebody. Yeah. Um, and that is so, so toxic, such a toxic idea that like, if we could just eradicate from the planet it would be really wonderful. But I think a lot of people struggle with that where it's like you're in a relationship and you feel like, well, I like to do this thing. And yeah. so I should like to do it with this person right. whenever I, I feel like doing it. Right. Like, you know, like, and it's like, yeah, that's not really the point. And also like, can you have that quality mm-hmm. over quantity? Right. Like, and something like with my partner, like we, we were long distance for a long time. And then I've always had like, kind of wonky jobs where I was like working in Alaska and I was literally in the Arctic Circle for half the year. Wow. And things like that where it's like it really does change your perspective. Like it's hard, but it mm-hmm. changes your perspective on like do you need to spend every minute together? And right. does that mean that you're like more in love if you're spending every minute together than if it's like you spend half the year together. Right. But when you're home, it's like really great, you know? Yeah. So, yeah. And of course, it's something to maybe like play with. Yes. That's what I think. I think people are afraid to play with that. Yeah. Right. With any variables like yeah. that. Yeah. And that's where, yeah, because there is so much conditioning around, there is one right way. Mm-hmm. And there isn't. Mm-hmm. There isn't. And I mean, more and more, we are definitely embodying that there are, we as people yeah. are embodying that there are many ways to do things um, that can be right. And also mm-hmm. that can be right for like a season mm-hmm. and then shift. Mm-hmm. And that is something, you know, to your point in relationship, I think, 
And it speaks to you actually in the 3740. It's like if you are only in the 37, only in friendship, mm-hmm. only in spaces with other people, you almost smother. Like you, it's like a fire. Mm-hmm. You don't give it oxygen. So mm-hmm. the flame can't grow. Mm-hmm. There's no polarity. You almost become the same person. Mm-hmm. And that's like horrible, right? It's like you become, you, you want to change your partner to be more like you. They want to change you to be more like them. You become the same person. You, there's no breathing room. Mm-hmm. And it's just like, Mm-hmm. <laughs> I just got spit everywhere. <laughs> Hot. Um, okay, so speaking of other people, mm-hmm. as a manifester, mm-hmm. how do you feel, whether it's energetically, physically, mentally, emotionally, how do you feel the other types, the mm-hmm. generators, the manifesting generators, the projectors, the reflectors, what do they feel like to you as a manifester? That's an interesting question because I, I do feel like, so like on one hand, I'm like... Um, like the amount of mental capacity I have for human design has been so focused on just trying to like unravel my own like experiment. So I haven't like, I, I'm just now like maybe like recently starting Mm -hmm. to have enough like capacity to start like kind of looking at other people like, Oh, like this thing, you know? Yes. Um, but I, I think that, I mean, I definitely feel, I definitely feel the generator, like sacral energy yeah i have a lot of a lot of my like my best friend she's a generator my partner is a manifesting generator i have some really good friends who are gen- i have a lot of generators who are around me and like um but also interestingly enough like the generator thing where it's like that kind of they yeah they're always like going and going and their lives to me seem like exhausting yeah. <laughs> like, I'm like I don't know if I can sustain that yep but then also watching them burn out on certain things yeah and I find that interesting that part of it because it's like I think maybe people think I don't know that you correct me if I'm wrong but <laughs> I think that um maybe like in a very like superficial you're looking at human design and you're just like doing like one-liners on on the yeah. different types it's like well manifestors and projectors burn out a lot and reflectors, I guess, maybe too, because um, they don't have access to this, like, whatever it is. And then uh, generators don't, you know. Yeah. But I think it's interesting to watch. It's, like, um, I, starting to see that it's, like, that it's still about being, like, kind of in in, aligned with what they're passionate about. Mm-hmm. And watching when it's, like, from my perspective, I can see when they're, like getting kind of like tugged away into other things you Mm -hmm. know (laughs) yeah and and then burning out because it's like not really like what they what they want to be spending their time doing Mm -hmm. um I love that you just said that and I I don't think you're wrong about that at all that's that is something just to like interject a little bit of a tangent here that's something that's such a pet peeve for me Mm -hmm. just because I think sometimes in in simplifying information we lose Mm -hmm. the nuance and then in losing the nuance we miss like for example, any generator who has any of the three format energy channels, which mm-hmm. is the 4253, the 360, and the 952, mm-hmm. those channels like literally turn on and they turn off. So mm-hmm. they like pulse. Mm-hmm. And it makes it so that generators, even though they have a defined sacral and maybe said yes to something, they don't have energy for it all the time. Mm-hmm. Like they can't, mm-hmm. they're not like the energizer bunny right. all the time. Right the batteries need to like recharge Mm. and when it turns off it often feels like a depression actually Mm. and that's correct for Mm. them like Mm. it's correct to be like yeah go and then like Mm. okay pull back rest go again and that's why it's so important that generators 
are not responding from their conditioning like you just alluded to mm-hmm. and are only responding yes to what they actually have energy mm-hmm. for because once you commit a sacral to something that it said no to it's still going to commit mm-hmm. and that's when I feel like people really burn out so there's like so much nuance within the sacral that I love that you just brought that up yeah it's interesting to like see it in real time with people where it's like and and I would say that like I've gotten feedback from just like some people who are close to me where it's like we pull their chart and then yeah. and then I've done it where I'm like they're like, oh, I'm a generator. And I'm like, oh, yeah, that means... And I give them, like, a one-liner. And then they're like, well, that doesn't feel right. And it, like, it doesn't feel right because, it, like, it's missing the nuance. And, right. like, I'm not a human design practitioner, so, like, right. mostly when I do that, I'm like, I just don't know enough to, like, give the nuance. Yeah. But that's why it's so important to, like, be able to, like, find the nuance somewhere in your own study or the portal. portal. <laughs> <laughs> we both were like, portal. <laughs> or the portal. Yeah, per- right. But because it's like, yeah, like if I were to just tell you, oh, you're a generator, that means you just like have energy for everything all the time. It's like, no, that's not really how it is. And the other thing about like the generator people, which I, the generator people. <laughs> they're super adorable. Uh, in my life, I should people. say. <laughs> the generator people in my life. Um, they, I do really feel, I, I see, I see it. And then I also like feel it that, that like, um, the, the drawing, like the, the kind of like warm drawing energy mm-hmm. that's like, that draws like people to them and, and just things like that. Like I do actually feel that from them and it, maybe it's cause like they're like good friends and I'm like, yeah. I already feel like a warmth in our relationship, but it is like, it's interesting to to witness it, I'll see it with other people too, right around them. Yeah, and um, and yeah, interesting seeing like family dynamics, mm-hmm. like of like the the families that I've like pulled charts for everybody, and kind of looking at like the group dynamic and that kind of thing. It's really it's interesting to think about at least. Like I couldn't say I I just know, but yeah. I just like to kind of look at it and ponder it. Yeah, and then projectors. I don't know. It's interesting because you might be the first. Well, recently I've pulled people's charts and I'm like, Oh, you're a projector. But like you were the first projector that I knew. Mm -hmm. And I think, I don't know. Well, I could just say it's specific. I don't know if it's specific to you or specific to a projector, but I feel like I see that you, I do feel like you are, you're very present. Mm -hmm. And like, when we talk, you're like, you do really like, you're like in our story, our story. Well, it is kind of our story, story. but like my story. Yes, bitch, it's our story. <laughs> You're in our story. I think I have like a fetish with the microphone. <laughs> Alyssa really likes getting close I to it and, and like and whispering things into the microphone. It's really satisfying. <laughs> it is isn't satisfying. That? Okay. <laughs> sorry, everybody. Um, <laughs> no, we're not. No, we're not. <laughs> sorry, not sorry. But yeah, I I do see that um, kind of like I mean I guess like they maybe like part of the projector thing is like being a I mean correct me if I'm wrong but it's like being able to kind of like see others and like like get like into their like yeah experience yeah. I don't know if that's the right way to say it or yeah, yeah. it's not as impersonal as a generator mm-hmm. like a gen and I, it's up to you like I'm yeah. really curious how you experience it because what made me want to ask you that question yeah. is that as a projector that is what my whole awareness is around right but honestly like when we were talking about should the portal app have yeah. other people on it? Yeah. I was like, yeah, because that's like, at least for a projector, I'm like, that's how I orient to how Everyone. I feel. Yeah. Is by orienting to how other people feel. Mm-hmm. But as a manifester, just knowing like your auric mm-hmm. setup, mm-hmm. I was curious how you feel different people or mm-hmm. different types kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So it is kind of interesting to hear like 
yeah, the generator feels more, like, warm. Maybe the projector feels more, like, pointed or focused. Mm. I don't know. Yeah, I can see that. I mean, I wonder a little bit, too, if, like... It's hard to know because it's my experience. Like, right. I couldn't say what another person's experience would be, but... Yeah, yours. I want to hear yours. I do always feel... I mean, I guess in general, like... Yeah. In life, I always do feel a little bit, uh, like, removed mm-hmm. from the energy. I mean, it's weird because, like, I could also just, like, totally get wrapped up in someone's energy. Yeah. <laughs> but I also, on some level, I always feel a little bit removed from it. Uh-huh. Um, which could come across as, uh, I mean, it could come across as, like, cold. Or not, like, cold, but, like, yeah, just, like, a little detached mm-hmm. where it's, like... I think I do have the ability to kind of, I guess it's like that repelling, yeah, like energy where it's like totally. if I need like space or I need something, I can kind of like push. But like until I learned human design, I also feel like I would do that, yep. and then I was like, why is this person not like where that person go or like why are they not like coming at me? Yep, because <laughs> maybe like with the other types, as I feel like like in general, like they're kind of like coming at me. Yep. And then I'm like receptive to that like often, but then sometimes I'm not. But right. then without knowing that, yeah, it creates a weird situation where you're like, this person just is like dropped off the face of the earth. And I'm like, where did they go? And then realizing that like, oh, like what am I like energetically putting out there? That's like yeah. maybe at least half of it. I won't say it's the full thing, but it's like, you know, a good part of it. Right. Like yeah. you're almost putting out like more of a, I'm not available right now. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. A, like a, like cl- a closed You're also observer, sign. right? In your primary health, your, your variables, like you are, oh. you're an observer. Yeah. I also think, I think so. I also think that changes it a little bit too. Just as far as like, uh, Yeah. You're an observer. So what's the... How Observer you... observed mm. is the environment style. Mm. So it's like, I think when you are... I'm observed. Yeah. And I always feel very engaged mm. with whatever I'm in or around. Mm-hmm. But I have heard from many people who are observer. Like when you said, oh, I'll walk into a room. Yeah. And I don't like it when people look at me. Yeah. I'm the opposite as observed. Yeah. I'm like, oh yeah, if you're not looking at me, I'm like, is something wrong when I walk in the room? Um... <laughs> I know that sounds really, like, whatever. Anyways. It is what it is. It is what it is. No (laughs) choice. No choice. (laughs) A lot of people who are observer, I've noticed, do not, like, attention, Mm. excess attention on them unless Mm. they're like, I want you to pay attention to me. Mm. In which case, Mm -hmm. then they're engaged and then they're observing again. Mm -hmm. They're the observer. Yeah. But I think observer has more of a kind of objective take on most situations where they feel pulled back a little bit yeah like they are watching what's happening as opposed to being entirely engaged in it yeah and i i think that's accurate for like like in group dynamics yeah like i can definitely get drawn into like a conversation or something and it's like and then suddenly it's like i'm really in it and people are observing me but like often when i'm in a group i'm like kind of back like like when I was younger I would have thought it was like a wallflower kind of thing where Mm. I was like but but I also know about myself now uh just through time and space but it's like I really enjoy I enjoy observing Mm -hmm. because like to me I mean (laughs) I don't know if this sounds fucked up but it's like 
it's kind of like the social, like seeing the social experiment and yeah. seeing psychology happen in real time where I'm like, I'm observing people and I'm like, I learn a lot about, like to me, intellectually, I find it interesting, like yeah. psychology and how all that works. So like the more that I observe different people in different environments, the more I learn about the human condition. Yeah. And that is really interesting to me. So like, I, I enjoy being like a little bit back and not being so in it that I'm like not... I, I like having a little bit of a detached view, I guess. Yeah. yeah. In some ways. I'm really curious what you've learned. What has been like one of the most shocking or inspiring things that you've learned about the human quote unquote condition? And how would you Ooh. first name the human condition before you answer the <laughs> What do you mean word? by name? Like how would you, for someone who's listening and is like, what is Cheyenne mm, talking about? Mm, the human mm, condition. Mm-hmm. How would you explain that? And then what have you observed? So, I mean, yeah, the human condition, uh, I would just, I would describe that as, um, I mean, it's like very expansive, but yeah, what it means to be human on this earth, you know, like as simply as that, it's like, yeah, but also, I mean, I guess, so if you go back in time, right, like there was a point when we evolved to basically grow a bigger brain and be able to, so actually, okay, I'm not like... I don't have a degree, so this don't, is your you know, <laughs> it's okay. but if you want a really good book recommendation, everybody in the world should read Sapiens mm, by Yuval Harari. I've that, actually. It's literally one of my favorite books. Okay. And it basically goes through the history of humankind, <laughs> which is very wide and expansive. But if you read that book, like the first chapter, you basically learn that like, um, so when we, when we found fire, right? Mm-hmm. That changed how we were digesting food. It shortened our digestive tract so that we could basically have more um, more energy being put into growing a bigger brain. Or not bigger. Bigger isn't right because like the size doesn't yeah. really mean much. But specifically, we and I don't remember the name of it, but there is a part of your brain that is responsible for the ability basically to imagine, mm-hmm. to have like a... a an abstract concept to understand an abstract concept and okay. the, also to believe the power to believe. Is that like the frontal? I don't know. It's not your frontal. I don't think it's your frontal lobe. Your frontal lobe is like consequences and that kind of thing, but in sense of self, but mm. I mean, there's, there were multiple things that happened, but this one part of the brain, like you've all talks about it and it, um, it basically gave humans the ability to do things like, uh, believe in a religion Oh, interesting. Believe in community and mm. society. Because before that, it was like small, like tribal, right? Like right. prehistoric humans running around. And then yep. once you had the belief, a belief system that could anchor everybody into it, you yep. could grow civilizations. And like wow. without that, you can't have society as we as we know it, right? Right. So... Like, to me, I don't know if I can choose one thing about the human condition, but, like, it's just really interesting to me to, like, think about that book. Yeah. <laughs> I give the qualification, actually, when I recommend it to people. I'm like, don't read this book unless you're willing to have your idea of reality, like, blown apart. Mm. Because it, like, blew my mind and was, like, changed how I think about everything in the world. Yeah. Mostly about what goes on in our brains. Right. And And that is, like really you can sum it up with like the beliefs that we have about how life should be mm. and how we need to be and how society is, yeah. is 100% fake. 
Mm-hmm. It's not real. It's something right. we've all agreed upon subconsciously and consciously through conditioning. Right. And there's a purpose for it because yes. you can't have this many humans living in this small of an area. Right. Semi-civilly, right? Yeah. Without that. So right. there is a purpose for it, but I guess like from a manifestor standpoint, it really like was like, oh, like I don't have to just <laughs> accept whatever conditioning I'm steeped in. Yep. I can change the, you know, the way that I think and the way that I believe that the world has to be. Mm. Um, not that that will just automatically change the whole world. <laughs> right, little stuff. But Small. it will change my experience of it. Right. Even if I have to do something, in quotes, have to do something, knowing that there's a choice in there. Yeah. And that, like, how I'm perceiving things is, like, yeah. So, anyways, I guess I would say the most interesting part of, like, me observing the human condition is seeing that in people. Where it's, mm. like... Yeah, like I like, I try if people let me to have conversations that help people like break out of those like constructs that they have in their head, you know, at least try to like subtly like be like, there's a different way that you could like think about things or a different way that you could be or it doesn't have to be like that, you know? Yeah. And so I find that interesting to like see, yeah, just what people are, the ideas that people have about (laughs) life and how, what it means to be human, you know? Right. Yeah, I imagine that you, you know, as you say that, I was thinking the word freedom came up again. Mm -hmm. Where it's like, I imagine that based on what you're saying, you are someone who really values the freedom to make your own choices. Mm -hmm. The freedom, which includes the freedom to express yourself authentically, to relate authentically, to like not just hold what's accepted or traditional, but also be able to question that and like find other ways. And so I imagine that sometimes it's potentially shocking you to watch people maybe not realize Mm. that they have a choice or not realize Mm. that they are resourced or that they maybe even could access freedom well yes and no okay only because like my i would say for the first 26 whatever years of my life like i i was that person Mm. and i still am to a certain extent like i haven't just like transcended (laughs) (laughs) like social structures and conditioning like it's like this is an ongoing thing absolutely so like so sometimes i'm like mostly it's not like uh it's not shocking to me okay but it's uh i just know that maybe they don't know something that could help them right you know what i mean like there's a perspective that they haven't like had access to yes and for me it's like mostly reading books i mean like there's just all this, we have access to so much knowledge from people who are way smarter than me, you know, who are like, I've like spent their whole lives studying this stuff. And it's right. like, you read a book and it can change your life. If you really like absorb the information, if you really yes. understand it or even not like, again, it's like some of it's subconscious, but yes. even just having it in your awareness, is like, mm-hmm. can change your whole life. And right. I just know that, I mean, I think a lot of people either don't have time for that or it's not how they, it's not how they go about life you know like so I almost feel like it's my my duty to like share what I know if someone is interested and open to it you know right to inform them yeah and then also like maybe that's like the one line a little bit of like it's like like I'm here to like I'm like investigating stuff and trying to understand things and then also like yeah bring that to the to the people (laughs) right or at least my people (laughs) yeah right well and the the it, it does kind of remind me, like, when you just said there's so much information available, it is, like, the gate 35 or, mm. of progress and change mm-hmm. that has a hunger or an appetite for, like, adventure or newness or new mm-hmm. experiences. It almost sounds like 
potentially you interface with a book, you can interface with a book as a whole experience of mm-hmm. an entirely different perspective that then mm-hmm. catalyzes a kind of shift in your life. Yeah, totally. Yeah. That's really cool. Yeah. And it makes sense because that first line, for anyone who's not familiar, Cheyenne's profile, so her kind of archetypal energetic costume that she wears as a manifester is an opportunistic investigator. So she is here to like really investigate and be introspective about and sort through information and do research and then take that information and research that's part of her body and her physical being and her energy and like externalize it to the people she cares about and the people that are in her community as a fourth line opportunist. Mm -hmm. So that's really cool. Yeah. Really cool. It makes sense. And I think something that you just spoke to that I personally think portal will actually be really helpful for is something I have observed that is real in my experience. I don't know how other people feel about it, but is how even just Instagram alone, like I'm not on TikTok and I don't really use Facebook, but just Instagram. There's so many different perspectives. There's so many mm-hmm. little like micro archetypes and specific like accounts that are so specific to one thing or just different ways of living. And I think in the last, what, let's just say seven years, seven to 10 years, it's become so much more normal to see all these different perspectives Mm -hmm. and all these different ways of life living Mm -hmm. and expressing and relating. And as that happens, I, I wonder if it is almost changing our consciousness Mm -hmm. as a whole collective because now you don't have to read a book to realize mm. that someone else exists an entirely different way. It's like one click away. Mm-hmm. So it's, and granted, there's, there are algorithms that make you see similar things. So that's like a whole different conversation for another time. <laughs> but as you were saying that, I was just thinking about how I think we are expanding in our ability to understand so many different perspectives and viewpoints. I can see that. It's like, yeah, like even just, let's say like 30, 30 years ago, probably not even that long ago, but 30 years ago, it's like you just didn't have, you had access to really what was kind of like right in front of you and what yes. you're interfacing every day. Right. People wise. Yes. And information to a certain extent. Yeah. So now it's like we have this, but then the shadow side of that is that I think there's also like too much information mm. and, uh, or I'll say it this way, not that there's too much information, but I think that like the, I honestly believe that the human brain hasn't caught up with being able to filter yeah. that kind of amount of information. Mm-hmm. And it creates like this, um, one, it, it's exhausting, I think. And then two, I think it's like, uh, not, not knowing what is the truth. And I'm going to say that like truth is a very subjective thing. Yes. And so that's also what makes it hard. But it's like with the amount of information and the amount of perspectives that exist out there, um, I maybe it's like more about inner truth, mm-hmm. depending on like how how like how much of a boundary you have between inner truth and like everyone else's perspectives. Because I could see if you don't have that, then it's like. Now it's like, instead of like wondering, you know, what your parents think about this and your friends think about this, it's like the whole world's giving you like a million different perspectives and right. you don't know. Yes. And then you're, I mean, that's <laughs> yeah, very overwhelming situation to be in, you know? So yes. Which is why human design is important. Yeah. For everybody. I love that you brought it back to that because yeah. I was going to go there. If you didn't. <laughs> yeah. And that, 
That is, I agree with you about the too much information thing. Just because I know how I feel when I take time off social media, and it's like there is my, the real estate of my mind mm-hmm. is so differently distributed. Mm-hmm. Like it is so different mm-hmm. as compared to when I tune into even when my phone is not on airplane mode. Mm-hmm. I don't even need to be on the app. It's like yeah. the strangest little like there's a lot of it's information. In your consciousness. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And so I, I do agree with you that knowing. Let me actually step backwards and say something that I see most frequently and that I would certainly be in this boat too if I did not have human design mm-hmm. as a kind of orientation tool is people not knowing how to make a decision mm-hmm. because there is so much extra information and so many extra opinions and perspectives mm-hmm. and they're trying to use their mind mm-hmm. to make the choice. Mm-hmm. And so it is exactly that where using human design reorients how you interface with information because mm-hmm. you're not using it to make a decision anymore. Mm-hmm. You're just taking it in as part of your awareness. There's a study that... And uh, I'm going to get the part of the brain wrong, but basically this guy, he had like some brain damage mm-hmm. and they, they learned a lot about, again, I don't remember the part of the brain, but it's like, they would do things like put a black and a blue pen in front of him and be like, which pen do you want? Yeah. And the thing that was missing was this like instinctual urge to grab the black or the blue pen. Okay. And he couldn't decide. Like he would spend uh-huh. hours trying to decide. And I think that's a really interesting wow. study because... <laughs> It's kind of speaking to what you you just said, where it's like, without that, like you could say you could say it's instinct, or you could say it's like body awareness, or or this different kind of way of making decisions. But like yeah. without that, you're stuck in the mind, and the mind doesn't necessarily have a great way to like tell you what is better. Right. So it's like, especially with like, I think there's like this really menial thing, like. The mind maybe could be like, do you want to like sit in a bathtub full of piranhas or do you want to eat some ice cream? Right. Easy okay. Choice. Well, piranhas, obviously. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, hello. Obviously, Shannon's a ice cream. Ice, ice cream is the Can thing. I bring my ice cream in the yeah. bath with the piranhas? Yeah, that'd be ideal. Um, so yeah, it's like, you know, is that your, that's your brain trying to make these decisions. And it's like, without that, like instinctual, just like, um, something deeper the idea that like the decision is coming from something deeper yeah it can be really hard to make decisions and then let's say that there's like a thousand different colors of pens right in front of you and it's like which pen right you're walking (laughs) away you're just like oh you know yeah so i think that would be a good it's kind of a yeah a good experiment to kind of show what you're what are you talking about yeah 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 and speaking of actually speaking of like using body awareness or kind of a quote-unquote inner authority through Mm -hmm. the lens of human design. I'm really curious, especially as someone who for myself has an open emotional center, how do you feel your emotional wave in regard to like moving through the process of your emotional wave and then eventually landing somewhere that feels like you're ready to make that decision or more clear or whatever it might feel like for you? Yeah. So the emotional authority, I think, um, I definitely was kind of bummed when I read about it. Were you? Yeah. Why? Because it's like, to me, I'm like, seems like a long process. Yeah. <laughs> You're like, this is going to take <laughs> way too take long. Forever. <laughs> but I think it's like, the more that I kind of like get into it and understand it, um, yeah. I kind of, I definitely see the value, especially if you are someone who has an emotionally defined center. Mm-hmm. Um, because I have like, in my life, I've made, 
<coughs> excuse me. Mm-hmm. I've made lots of decisions like in the higher or low. Yeah. That then I, uh, yeah, very quickly come to regret or like, and then I just like suffer through if it's like, yeah, depending on what it was. Right. Um, something I've learned, I think about the emotional wave is like, and I think we talked about this too at some point, but it was like, just the, sometimes, sometimes I'll like, there's, there's kind of like a bigger lesson that I'm like moving through where it's like, and I'm having a lot of experiences on the emotional wave about it. And then all of a sudden I'll have an experience that it almost just like gives me the last little nugget of information I need in the wave. And like for a while I was kind of confused about how that, like I was like, so I got to just like wait on that and, or that doesn't mean anything or, but I've realized I'm like, at some point you hit like a, for me, it feels like a moment of just like clarity Yep. where I'm just like, Oh yep. And it can be like fast instinctual, yeah. but like realizing that what I'm seeing or like that, that little end result, the little light bulb going off is after this long, however long it could be years. It could be like a month, could be a week. I don't know, depending on what it is, but it's right. like, I've gone through all these like feelings and experiences about something. And now I'm like, I can trust that clarity. You know what I mean? Instead yes. of, cause like, I guess clarity is different than being on the emotional wave. Right. Maybe they're in the high or the low. Like excitement and being amped up about something is different than clarity. Yeah. And now that we're now that I'm verbalizing it, I'm understanding that like, yeah, that's kind of what it is, is like and that's a different feeling. And it's and it's I I could see I think for I think the hard part in some ways is like for like really big life decisions. Mm-hmm. Um, taking like a lot of time. Mm-hmm. Like where it's like you don't get that in a month or maybe even in a year or maybe even, you know, like it could take a long time for that to kind of present itself, you know, mm-hmm. and uh, kind of feeling like, yeah, wanting to force the clarity mm. versus allowing yourself to go through the process and then the clarity comes when you're often when you're not forcing it. Right. But for me, that's hard. Like I definitely find myself wanting to like, yeah. Be like, Oh, I want to know now. (laughs) Can you just tell me? God damn it. And it's like the pressure wanting to get out from under that pressure of knowing so that it's like, yeah, you never make good decisions from that place. Right. (laughs) Yeah. And that's something. Yeah. When you said it feels like clarity, it's, I remember having this conversation with you where, we were talking about the lack of charge around Mm. a decision. Once you like land, Mm -hmm. I forget what the exact context was, but that lack of charge, like there isn't an excitement that's Mm -hmm. like, Oh my gosh. Yeah. Or Mm -hmm. there isn't like a, Oh Mm -hmm. no, it's just like, yeah, okay. I've decided Mm -hmm. and I'm kind of neutral and it feels really clear. And I'm curious when you get to that point, do you feel like the experiences that you've had along the wave that maybe birth those little nuggets are what give you the clarity, like almost an experiential wisdom that comes with the clarity or that the clarity comes from? Um, yeah. Okay. I mean, I think, I think on some level the, the experiences are, the experiences and the emotions are tied together and right. then that's giving me like a, 
Yeah, however I'm feeling about whatever the experience was is then informing the end clarity. But yes. something that something that I'm just now realizing is like like when I was younger, mm-hmm. before I understood human design, I think like like there would be a tendency to like like if I wasn't excited about something then it was wrong. Yeah. So and that is like a hard thing to like even like I felt resistance when I first realize like what we're talking about where it's like oh the end result's like being neutral yeah who wants to be neutral about something (laughs) classic uh... (laughs) yeah i'll circle back to that (laughs) but it's like to me that was like really hard to wrap my head around and um yeah i don't really like the word neutral to be honest i think like i think i would put it more like because like to me it doesn't it's not really i mean you could say it's neutral but to me it feels more like it feels more like clarity or a calm mm-hmm. which like you could say is neutral but it's like or feeling like neutral about something to me yeah. indicates a lack of investment mm. emotionally in mm-hmm. something right and i tend to never be <laughs> not emotionally invested in things i'm doing right i like i pretty much always am emotionally invested in everything which makes sense because yeah. the emotional center is also not is not just for awareness it's mm-hmm. also for energy mm-hmm. like you get energy from an emotional experience mm-hmm. yeah and yeah so it's like when i was younger i think the the shadow side of that would be like if i yeah if i wasn't excited then it was wrong yep including neutrality including dark feelings right and so uh, the brain attaching to that and being like when i'm not feeling good about my relationship or about this or about that or about that then it needs i need to get out of it it needs to i need to end it it needs to be wrong you know instead of just being like yeah today this is how you feel right (laughs) and tomorrow you'll probably feel differently you know and in three minutes you'll probably feel differently yeah yeah (laughs) totally yeah totally it's the neutrality thing is funny because as someone with an open emotional Mm -hmm. center I feel like I sit in a certain level of neutrality Mm. a lot of the time. Mm -hmm. Like, I might feel excitement about Mm. something, but usually it's, like, an excitement at the possibility Mm. as opposed to, oh, I'm excited about this and therefore it's good. Mm -hmm. It's more just like, oh, cool, I'm excited that's even a possibility. Mm-hmm. And it's it's interesting how you just spoke to, like, if I feel bad about it, it's wrong. Mm. Growing up, living with three other people who had emotional waves, I definitely was conditioned, mm. not from them consciously, but yeah. through their patterning to feel what you just explained, mm. which is that, like, oh, if there's an uncomfortable emotion happening, it's mm. bad, mm-hmm. it's wrong. Mm-hmm. And then when I learned human design and learned that emotions were informing me, I started to go that level of, like, Oh, if it's uncomfortable, what is it show like what is it trying to inform you of? Is mm-hmm. it conditioning? Like are you feeling guilty? Mm-hmm. And then that's creating an emotional cascade that you're then identifying with. So it is just this whole It goes back to for me the objective observer. Mm. Like regardless of whether you have emotional definition or not, it's like can you just be aware of what's happening for you mm. and not try to necessarily always give it reason, mm-hmm. but just be aware of it mm-hmm. and then then allow it to happen and then arrive at the points of the golden nuggets where mm-hmm. you're like, oh, cool. That felt almost like an epiphany or like a revelation because mm-hmm. I let myself go through the experience without judging the experience based on what I was feeling during it. Totally. Yeah, and I... I'm also wondering a little bit of, like, yeah, like, 
sometimes like I'll get really excited, like really excited about something and you get like so wrapped up in it that you're like, you're almost trying to like force something to like happen. <clears throat> Not from any sort of like necessarily bad place, but just, just cause you're like excited about it. Yeah. And I, for a long time I was like, the things always seem to happen when I like almost didn't want them to happen. Mm-hmm. Like once I got to a point where I was just like, Ah, fuck it. Like, yeah. whatever, you know? Yes. Then it would, like, happen. Yeah. Whatever it was. And and I always found that really odd. <laughs> I was just like, I don't get it. Like, why is, why is it like that? And I'm kind of wondering if that's, like, kind of tied into that where it's, like, um, it's interesting because it's, like, there's an inner authority, but then it's, like, reflected in the external, too, where yes. it's, like, you're, yeah, the more that you're, like, pushing things with your emotional wave, the harder it is to actually, like have the thing right in a way yeah yeah Yeah. no you do it it does because the thing so how I personally perceive the emotional wave and this is why whenever people are like I'm disappointed I have it I'm like you are because I so like you know we talk about like holding a frequency Mm -hmm. oh I'm gonna hold the frequency that I'm gonna meet my dream partner Mm -hmm. or of wealth or whatever to me the emotional process like the highs, the lows, the introspection, the expression, like that whole emotional process that happens to me, that's actually what is preparing someone Mm. to then have the thing that they want at the Mm. end. And it's not so much about like, this is my Mm. perception. It's not so much about the decision that comes from it. Mm -hmm. It's about the process that readies you Mm -hmm. to then have the thing. And that's where it's like, yeah, that's just my, I don't have an emotional way. No, that's so wise though. That's how I feel it. Say it again in the mic. (laughs) What, is, what am I saying? Holy shit. What am I saying? Is this thing on? <laughs> no. Okay. So the emotion, if you are someone who has an emotional wave, so if you have a defined emotional center in your human design body graph, I invite you to perceive your emotional wave, not as a decision-making process, but as an experience that allows you to hold the frequency of the thing that you are wanting. So as you move through the emotional process, you're actually getting ready for what's to come next. You're actually readying your capacity, your awareness, your experience, your energy for the thing that you are about to get, which is why, like Cheyenne just spoke to, when you say fuck it, when you surrender, when you Mm -hmm. get into the space of neutrality, Mm -hmm. almost, lack of charge, I think that's a better, because you can still feel excitement or desire for it. But you're not pining for it anymore. And it's when we pine for something or we like, oh, I want it or we cling to it, we are actively holding that we don't have it. Mm -hmm. So it's like you ready yourself through the emotional wave and then you're able to hold the frequency of the thing that you're desiring. And that's when usually, like you just said, it's like right there in your lap and you're like, oh, that's not what I expected timing wise. Yeah. Why didn't that happen two weeks ago when I was in the excitement of Mm -hmm. the thing? No, the, and, and then the other part of it where it's like the experiences along the emotional wave are preparing you to actually have the thing. Right. Like, <laughs> oh my gosh. Oh, if you are going to listen to one thing out of this whole <laughs> podcast, okay? That's the thing to listen to. No, because like really yeah. like like that just really clicked for me of like what that means and uh and so I guess it's pretty cool to have emotional authority. <laughs> it is. It's really cool. And the thing, it is cool. And the thing that's cool about it too is that I think that what I just spoke to is probably the most true for the sensing circuitry kind of like collective emotional wave that is driven by experience, which mm-hmm. is the 35, 36 and the 41, 30. Mm-hmm. 
um, just, just because it is experiential. And I don't think that that's untrue for the Mm -hmm. other ones. Like for example, the tribal emotional waves, the, um, 1949 and the 4037, those two, I also think hold a frequency as they move through their wave. But I, I more perceive those of like, it prepares you, it deepens you in relationship. Mm-hmm. as opposed to gets you ready to then have a thing. Yeah. That's like I a see that. definite difference I have yeah. in the in my perception of those. And same, the 1222 and the um, 3955, which are like very individual knowing emotional waves, I think those are more similar to like, they just let you hold the frequency. Those, I don't even think there is like a desired outcome generally. It's just, do I want to be expressing myself in the world or not? Mm. And that like attracts, the expression attracts to you, people who are like, oh, that individual has mm. a new way, an innovative way. Mm-hmm. So I do perceive them different, but I think overall, yeah, it, you could say it's true for all of them. Yeah. Yeah, and I, um, yeah, that feels very true to my experience where it's like, especially like when you're on like a high of the wave, it's like, I'm ready for this thing. I want this thing. This sounds great. You know, and then it's like, no, you got to learn. There's some, <laughs> right. there's, some, there's some things you got to learn and like right. some maybe like shadow side, dark things, you know? Yes. And then often if you can let yourself go through all that, you then, when you finally do get the thing or you do make that decision, it's like you're much more prepared for it because you don't, yeah, it's like, do, are you, do you have like rose colored glasses about everything? Right. Or do you understand that everything is like in that binary, everything is, good and bad and dark and light and happy and sad and like it's all the things and so that means that like whatever decision you make is not going to just be rainbows and sunshine yeah and it's not going to just be dark and horrible either like it's going to be both at different times and so having that like oh that's so interesting too because it's like oh my gosh you're like you are having an emotional wave that's like up and down dark and light inside yourself about something that hasn't even happened yet and it's preparing you for then when you are having the experience and it's up and down and dark and light you're like oh like i've i've seen this i've experienced this already and like i feel that so clearly like my partner always i'll I'll (laughs) jokingly like be sitting next to him and i'm like i miss you and he's like i don't miss you yet but i'm like to me i'm like i miss people before they've left you're leaving tomorrow well i already miss you But it's, like, kind of that feeling of, like, I'm already experiencing everything that I'm going to experience. And sometimes I've I've felt, like, why do I have to be like that? Why can't I just be, like, present in the moment and not be having this, like, feeling about something that hasn't even happened yet? And that's kind of the shadow side of it where it's, like, are you even experiencing your life because you're, like, living a week or two or whatever down the road where it's, like... But the, the flip side of that is that it's, like, I'm, like, already having the emotional experience and then when it actually happens, often... It's less impactful than, you know, especially for bad things. I'm like, oh, it really isn't that bad. Like, yes. But you're kind of in this, like, yeah, you're already experiencing it. Yeah. Yeah. And I would say that, you know, you would call it a shadow, but I also think that that it can be a gift of Mm. like almost foresight where Mm -hmm. it is, um, sometimes attunes you to the present even more because you realize the magnitude of someone being gone, Mm -hmm. whether that's like, Hey, you're traveling or like death or whatever it might be. And that's, there's so much, there's so much insight to me in the emotional wave, even though I don't 
have one. Mm-hmm. There's so much there. And I think that it's really cool because we're trending that way mm-hmm. as a, you know, if you look at the human design body graph to step back before I say what I was about to say, the oldest awareness center is the splenic center and the splenic center is like just it's fear, right? Mm-hmm. It's like, will this kill me? Mm-hmm. Existential body awareness. Can I survive? And then we move, and I'm sure like the book Sapiens Mm -hmm. probably profiles this in a similar way maybe, Mm -hmm. but then we move into mental awareness Mm -hmm. and that is that like, okay, inspiration downloads, Mm -hmm. big ideas that aren't even conceptualized yet, excuse me, getting pressurized into these concepts, theories, religions, Mm -hmm. thought forms, beliefs, Mm -hmm. and we've sat there as a collective in mental awareness for so long and we're trending toward having our primary awareness move from splenic to mental and then where we're sitting currently is mental mental to emotional Hmm. interesting as our primary awareness and this brings in this whole concept that we won't talk about right now but of like pentas and how like future children will be able to emotion have this emotional awareness where no one has to even talk there's just Hmm. this like yeah i feel your wave i feel you Mm -hmm. And this kind of inter, I don't want to say interdependence, but that is kind of it. Like an interdependence on each other's emotional waves and each other's like regulation mm-hmm. through those waves. Yeah. And, and it, it, to me, it's just wild because there is so much information in the emotional wave. Yeah. And it's, I mean, you, I, I wonder a little bit too, if you're already kind of seeing that with like, like like as a society we're starting to accept the fact that like that you could call it like neurodiversity or you know different yes but it's also like there are a lot of humans on this planet who experience life in i mean we all experience it differently but there's like it seems like there's like maybe like a new way of experiencing life and it Mm -hmm. is this like maybe less mental or less like and less verbal maybe and more like sensing like and really seeing how like modern day society is completely overwhelming yeah for someone who's built like that right like it's like too much yes. <laughs> it's too much sensory information yeah for someone who's like feeling all the sensory information to come in right you know and um yeah it's interesting to see how that is like i mean i definitely feel like that to a certain extent a little bit sometimes mm-hmm. where it's like yeah in your nervous system like how how much overload does your nervous system have just being like bombarded with all the things that we bombard ourselves with in daily life you know yeah oh for sure yeah for absolute sure yeah there and that's where again it comes back to choice right it's Mm -hmm. like hey it's your choice whether you want to engage like this and you do have a choice and i have a choice and we all have Mm -hmm. choice and in a way making the choice to not be overstimulated all the time is revolutionary because Mm -hmm. it's becoming the norm Mm -hmm. for sure yeah um i have a question for you that is your partner does he have emotional definition i forget okay so in human design we always say like we always say that people who have defined emotional centers are responsible for Mm. the emotional climate Mm -hmm. of whatever space they're in how does that like land for you as some I've never asked this to someone with a defined emotional center, so I'm yeah. curious, how does it land for you to hear that as someone with a defined emotional center? Um I think hearing that today, I'm like, yeah. Okay. <laughs> hearing that like a year ago, I would have been like, why is it up to me? Or like kinda yeah. like that seems like 
Like, why is that all, like, my problem? <laughs> yeah, I, I know. I side-eyed it first, too, when I heard it. I was like, that seems like a little... But why today does it land? So today, uh, and, or I should say just, like, recently, I, I mean, it kind of goes back to, like, what I was saying earlier, where it's, like, I really, I'm, I'm starting to really see, like, the impact that my emotions have, mm-hmm. um, and how people... I mean, maybe it's just, like, impact in general, but, like, depending at where I'm at on my emotional wave, it, like, it has very different effects on the people around me. Yes. And being okay with, um, what is the right word? Like, it's not, like, taking control of that, but Mm -hmm. being okay with, like, um, owning that. Yes. So I'm not just, like, kind of, like, in that, like, victim state where I'm, like, well, they're just happening to me, so why should I have to then be responsible for it? Right. <laughs> yeah. You know, which is totally, but yes, that was some conditioning that I had around emotions, for yeah. sure, growing up. So, yeah, I I think now I can, like, look at it and be like, okay, I can take responsibility for that, while also knowing that, like, the other person also is responsible for how they amplify and how they are processing their own emotions or what they're feeling from me, but right. being like aware and okay with being like, I understand that the way I'm feeling right now really affects you. Yes. And, um, so not that I can necessarily do anything about it, but right. I can also take space for myself. Yes. That's the biggest thing is like, um, like in regards to, you know, like intimate relationships, like feeling like I need to process my emotions by like talking it out with the other person who's like really stressed out by how I'm feeling. Yeah. Right. <laughs> and it like creates a situation where it's like no one's really getting what they want and it's right. not actually helping. Yeah. So it's like being okay with being like, I can give that to myself. Like yeah. maybe I can just take some time and like let the wave, you know, kind of settle a little bit at least. Right. Um, so that I can like, yeah. Like how can I process my emotions differently mm-hmm. instead of just like externalizing them onto whoever's around me? Yeah. 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 That's the part that I, I love actually how you just said all of that, because something I see frequently when I do composite charts, mm-hmm. and this is why I asked yeah. about your partner, um, is if one of the partners has an emotional wave and then the other one doesn't mm-hmm. it, and they don't, they're not aware of mm-hmm. that. And there isn't the level of, like, maturity, emotional intelligence, and awareness around the emotional wave. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a very common pattern. And no shame or judgment if, like, you're listening to this and you're like, holy shit, that's me. Because I think this is part of the human experience mm-hmm. is mm-hmm. learning this. Um, but is this very specific pattern where the relationship mm-hmm. starts taking on the emotional wave and the person who has an open emotional center is like almost getting like whiplashed by the person with the emotional wave who is almost like they're they're so in their emotional wave mm-hmm. and they're not aware that they're doing it per se but they are bringing the relationship into these steep ups, mm-hmm. low, 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 low mm-hmm. drops, right? And it's it's just their emotional wave, mm-hmm. but it's almost like because the other person's amplifying and identifying with it mm-hmm. out of their conditioning, it then drags the relationship through this up and down, up and down. Totally. And that's where I have seen it the most as far as me being like, yes, that statement is true. And then once the person who has an open emotional center learns, mm-hmm. it's almost like this, oh, wait, you mean nothing's wrong that's just their process and I can let them move through their process Mm. and then the person who has the emotional wave almost sees it different where they're like oh 
just because I'm in a low doesn't mean that I need to project that low onto my relationship and give it a reason. Mm -hmm. It's just me going through a low and a low is not bad. It's part of the cycle, Mm -hmm. right? That to me is one of the things that like you can probably tell by how I'm talking about it, but I always am like, hey, this is going to change your whole relationship dynamic once you see this. Because the emotional wave is so impactful, and that's why it's beautiful and and gives you so much insight. But it's definitely cool to hear you say that. Yeah, and I think I've definitely experienced that where it's like, like before I was aware of like human design and that kind of thing, it's like, yeah, taking my my lows and making it about my relationship or my partner. And then like hearing the feedback from my partner of like, hey, I can be here for you as long as you don't make me like the bad guy. Yep. Like I can be here and I can like let you go through the thing, but not when you're like turning it on me, yes. you know, and like really struggling with understanding that and being able to like in real time while you're upset, not do that. You yeah. Know? And I'm I probably still do it a little bit, yeah, it's <laughs> but I, learning. I have a whole lot more awareness around it now. And so yeah. I can like, yeah, I can, um, let myself feel not good and try not to like make it about anything specific like you could just let the feeling kind of happen and let it go you yeah know? yes instead and of attaching to it so much totally and that how you just said that was perfect because if you are someone listening to this who has an open emotional center i think what how cheyenne just explained that is also important for everyone who has an open emotional center to grasp because we're always 53 i think it is percent of the population has a defined emotional center so more, more people than not yeah and if you are someone who tracks the transits, which you'll be able to do on the portal app, you'll notice that quite frequently, like I think right now, collectively we have the 1949, mm. which is a, an emotional channel that's tribal. But what I notice is if I am like in a way that's not feeling normal, more times than not, I go look at my definition and I have emotional definition through the transits. Mm. And that has cued me into how profound it must be to have an emotional wave. Mm. And so I think in, in partnership, in relationship, in a family dynamic, if you have an open emotional center, also like support people as they move through their emotional wave, because mm. undoubtedly they're going to support you after they're done and they're holding the frequency of the final product. Mm-hmm. It's like some of my friends who have emotional waves are some of the people that say the most profound things or that show up being like, yeah, you can show up however you want. Oh, that didn't go how we thought. That's fine. Cause they have that turbulence, you know? Mm-hmm. And it's like, then everyone with an open emotional center gets really thrown off when they mm-hmm. feel low because mm-hmm. they're, they feel it so amplified. So it's like, how can we support each other regardless of definition or openness mm-hmm. going through emotional processes? And it's probably what you said, like owning it, taking responsibility, being aware, not externalizing it, mm-hmm. not trying to find a reason for it, mm-hmm. especially the springboard or the projection field of the relationship. Yeah. Yeah. It's revolutionary. Uh, yeah. Relationships. Um, relationships. Cheyenne, do you have any other insights that you would like to share about your experience as a human, as a manifester or about human design at large? I think that, I think that's good for today. There'll be more though. (laughs) There's always more. Um, we will most likely have another episode coming out within the next couple of weeks. So keep your ears attuned to the portal frequency. Um, and in the meanwhile, Cheyenne is busy working away on the app 
the design of the app, the development of the app. We have our app wizard behind the scenes working away. And I am also creating some special content for the app. So we will be doing that. And in the meantime, definitely tune in to our Instagram. I can't talk right now. (laughs) My brain's like flatlining. Um, (laughs) Help me, I'm hungry. (laughs) Food. Food. Um, You can take it away from here. (laughs) Um, I think what Alyssa's getting at is um, (laughs) you can uh, follow along with our Instagram and uh, join our email list if you would like to get app updates and uh, Kickstarter updates for later this year. So... Those are the things we'll be doing. Um, let us know if you have any questions or if you have any topics that you would like us to explore further. Um, we are always open to that. We want to hear from you, real humans out there. Um, yeah, let us know. Yeah, we'd love to hear how your design experiment is going. Yeah, definitely. So, um, yeah, on that note, cheers. 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 <laughs>